Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In three, two, one. Seven things you probably didn't know, you need to know. I'm Jamie East and this is... Is the Smart 7. Hey, I'm Jamie Easton, this is the Smart 7, and over the course of this week, we're taking a look back at the biggest stories from 2022. Today, we're looking at March and April. March saw Russia's war on the Ukraine begin in earnest, with Russian forces hoping for a quick and dramatic victory. Tuesday the 1st of March brought more brutal attacks on Ukraine from Russian missiles and shelling. The centre of Ukraine's second city, Kharkiv, was rocked by a massive explosion, which killed and injured dozens of people. Then early Wednesday morning, Russian paratroopers landed and attacked Ukrainian troops near a military hospital. Meanwhile, an attack on Kyiv's TV tower beside the historic Babin Yar Holocaust Memorial killed five more people. President Zelensky appeared over Zoom to address the European Union Parliament and made Ukrainians' case for an expedited membership of the European Union. His words moved the assembled politicians and even the translator struggled with emotion. We are fighting just for our land and for our freedom. Nobody's going to break us. We're strong. We're Ukrainians. The parliament responded with a standing ovation and then staged a walkout as Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov started his speech. Later, the Ukrainian president spoke to the international press, including CNN, from a bunker in Kyiv. He was asked if there was any real prospect of peace from the talks with Russia. Everybody has to stop fighting and to go to that point from where it, it was beginning six days ago. If you'll do this, and if those side is ready, it means that they are ready for the peace. If they don't ready, it means that you're just, you know, wasting time. And do you think you're wasting your time, or do you think they're ready? We'll see. As March wound on, the Ukrainian military had a number of successes, including holding off Russian attempts to take Kyiv. And as the war unfolded, the world was shocked by evidence of Russian troops massacring civilians in the Ukrainian town of Bukha, with corpses found lying in the streets and reports of torture and rape from eyewitnesses. It escalated quickly with the UN General Assembly holding a vote to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council. Ukrainian ambassador to the UN, Sergei Kaisleitsia, made a strong plea to the Assembly to take action and urge them to vote yes. Pressing no means pulling a trigger and means a red dot on the screen. Red as the blood of the innocent lives lost. The vote passed with 93 in favour, 24 against and 58 abstentions. The move was championed by US ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who described the vote as important and historic. Once the vote suspending Russia passed, the Russian delegation announced they decided to give up their membership anyway. Ukrainian President Zelensky warned that Bukha wasn't the end of the story and that authorities have already uncovered more atrocities in the town of Borodyanka. Russia has had nothing to do with the concept of human rights for a long time already. Maybe someday that will change. After Bucha, 
This is already obvious, and as the work on dismantling the debris in Borodyanka began, it's much worse there. Even more victims of the Russian occupiers. Putin's press spokesman Dmitry Peskov spoke to Sky News and refused to concede the atrocities in Bucha were committed by Russian troops. We insist that the whole situation is a well-staged insinuation, nothing else. He did, however, admit to major Russian losses for the first time. We have significant losses of troops. It's a huge tragedy for us. After six long years in Iran, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe finally returned to the UK on Wednesday the 17th of March. She and fellow captive Anushia Ashuri were released by Tehran, while another man, Murad Tabaz, has been released from prison but not yet allowed to leave the country. They were being held as part of a long-running row between Britain and Iran, which has finally been resolved, as Foreign Secretary Liz Truss explained to the House of Commons. After highly complex and exhaustive negotiations, the more than 40-year-old debt between the International Military Services and the Ministry of Defence of Iran has now been settled. Nazanin's husband Richard, who's campaigned tirelessly, including a hunger strike to keep her case in the public eye, was incredibly grateful that the ordeal was at an end. Huge relief that, that she's on a plane, that she's coming home, that she's free. And thank you to everyone who's been helping along the way. Local MP Tulip Sadiq, who also campaigned relentlessly for Nazanin's release, was delighted to see her returning home. But most importantly, I want to pay tribute to my constituent, Richard Radcliffe, yeah. for his relentless campaigning but I also think he's really set the bar high for all husbands. <laughs> it took until Friday of that week for Nazanin to finally arrive in the UK and when she did, she had some thoughts on how long the whole process had taken. Because I've been told many, many times that I'm going to be taken home, but that never happened. I mean, how many foreign secretaries does it take for someone to come home? Five. What's happened now should have happened six years ago. She was speaking at a press conference and Tulip Sadiq says we need to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. I owe it to Nazanin to ask questions about why the debt wasn't paid for so long, which we know was key. In the meantime, Nazanin says she's got lots to look forward to. Coming back to a daughter who is nearly eight, I left her when she was not even two. There is a whole lot to catch up, so I would appreciate the privacy. April saw the Met Police investigation into Partygate start to produce results. It began on Monday the 4th as the first person to receive a fine in the Tory scandal was named. Helen McNamara was the government's former head of ethics and was fined for attending a rowdy leaving do for a fellow civil servant on the night before Prince Philip's funeral. She apologised for the error of judgment and paid the fixed penalty charge notice. And then Minister for Brexit Opportunities Jacob Rees-Mogg was on LBC on Monday and engaged in an extremely delicate defence of how it could be that his boss Boris didn't mislead Parliament when he said there were no rules broken. If the Prime Minister is told information that is incorrect and passes that information on, he has made no deliberate effort to mislead anybody. You, you don't for one second countenance the idea he's attempted to mislead Parliament, Mr Rees-Mogg? No, I don't. Labour's Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Phillipson said it's really not very complicated. We know that the Prime Minister's lied. He's lied right throughout this process. He thinks we're all fools, that we can't see what's been going on. The fines that have been issued confirm what we've known for a very long time. While everyone in this country was doing what was asked of them by the government, over Downing Street, they were having wild parties and the Prime Minister knew what was going on and told Parliament otherwise. Then, on April the 12th, there was another surprise. The Met Police dropped 30 more Partygate fines, this time for the awkward office event that was Boris's birthday party. That meant that Boris, wife Carrie and Chancellor Rishi Sunak were all issued with fixed penalty notices for breaking lockdown rules. That's the same Boris Johnson who was furious back in December when he found out that there had been parties. I can understand 
how infuriating it must be to think that the people who have been setting the rules have not been following the rules, Mr Speaker, because I was also furious to see that clip. This was the man who had made the rules, announced the rules and then broke the rules, becoming the first serving Prime Minister to have broken the law, but he showed no intention of stepping down. Let me say immediately that I've paid the fine and I once again offer a full apology. There was a brief gathering in the Cabinet Room shortly after 2pm, lasting for less than 10 minutes. In all frankness, at that time, it did not occur to me that this might have been a breach of the rules. Chancellor Rishi Sunak also offered an apology, but like Boris, didn't resign. Labour leader Sakir Starmer says it's just not good enough, especially when so many people around the country made so many sacrifices during the pandemic. They've dishonoured all of that sacrifice. This is the first time in the history of our country that a Prime Minister has been found to be in breach of the law. Britain deserves better. They have to go. In 2022, seen the Tory government struggled to cope with refugees and asylum seekers with huge backlogs in the processing system and a flood of arrivals across the channel in small boats. In a year with three different Home Secretaries, including Suella Braverman twice, it's been a series of failures, including the launch of a £120 million scheme to send asylum seekers to Rwanda for processing. It all started in April, when Home Secretary Priti Patel addressed the Commons to defend her Rwanda plan. It came under fire from all sides, including from former Home Secretary and Prime Minister Theresa May. She said she couldn't vote for it on grounds of legality, practicality and efficiency, and wanted to know more about the details and the risk that it would just serve to make matters worse. Does she not believe that this will not simply lead to an increase in the trafficking of women and children. Priti Patel refused to clarify the criteria for the scheme, claiming the information was too sensitive to share with the House. The Right Honourable Lady will know very, very well that actually it's that type of criteria that is used by the smuggling gangs to then effectively exploit various loopholes in our existing laws. Labour's Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper described the scheme as unworkable and unethical and says the Home Secretary hasn't been doing her job either. And there has been a total failure to crack down on criminal gangs that are at the heart of this problem. The prosecutions for human trafficking, for non-sexual exploitation, are down from 59 in 2015 to just two in 2020. Just two. Still to come on this special edition of the Smart 7, Will Smith slaps heard around the world and tributes to a sportsman gone too soon. Right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. The 2022 Oscars had a number of firsts. Ariana DeBose became the first openly queer woman of colour and only the second Latina actor to win an acting Oscar, while Troy Kotzer became the first deaf male winner of an acting Oscar. Jane Campion became only the third female winner of Best Director and Coda became the first streaming movie to win Best Picture. All of that, however, was overshadowed when Chris Rock made a little joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, who suffers from alopecia. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? 
I'm out here. Uh-oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Put the wife's name out your mouth. Wow, dude. It was a G.I. Jane jump. There was absolute chaos as the U.S. froze the TV picture, Will Smith was comforted by Denzel Washington during the ad break, and then it went on to win Best Actor for King Richard. Richard Williams was a fierce defender of his family. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. <laughs> In a year of legal dramas, the long-running defamation trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard captured plenty of headlines. They were busy suing each other. He sued her over an article in the Washington Post where she described herself as a victim of domestic abuse, and then she countersued him. The case was streamed live from a court in Virginia and began in early April, but we didn't get a verdict until June the 1st. Johnny took to the stand for the first time on Tuesday the 19th of April to say he'd never hit a woman and described his own upbringing and the abuse he suffered at the hands of his mother. And she was quite violent and she was quite cruel and she... And though there was physical abuse, certainly, um, which could uh, be in the form of uh, an ashtray being flung at you, you know, it hits you in the head or... You'd get beat with a high-heeled shoe or a telephone or whatever's handy. There was tragic news on Friday the 4th of March as one of cricket's all-time greats, Australian bowler Shane Warne, died while on holiday in Koh Samui. He appeared to have had a heart attack in his hotel and friends were unable to revive him. He was just 52. He was one of the great Australian sportsmen, announcing himself into international cricket in spectacular fashion with the ball of the century to dismiss Mike Gatting at Old Trafford in 1993. First ball in test cricket in England for Shane Warner. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. He was a larger-than-life character and a tabloid favourite, with books and even a musical chronicling his life. His home state of Victoria organised a state funeral, one of Australia's highest honours, and he survived by his three children, who were said to be in total shock. He spoke to BBC Breakfast just weeks before his death and was very philosophical about the path his life had taken. Rest in peace, Shane. You know, I've had some pretty tough times that I had to live with for the rest of my life through some poor choices. But, you know, some of them are a long time ago that people like to bring up. Some of them were 30 years ago. Um, as a 20-odd-year-old, 21-year-old compared to a 51, 52-year-old person, you make better decisions when you're older. So, you know, look, I wouldn't change too much. This has been The Smart 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. Have a great day. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.